Let us then turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. We want to principally look at the verses 1 to 8 there, where Jesus is challenged by the, the scribes and the chief priests and the elders. And seeking God's blessing, we want to meditate upon this portion of word profitably this evening. And the title I'd like to give to it is Christ Confronted. Christ Confronted. And really from where we read from Luke chapter 19 verse 45 and the whole of chapter 20, you really have Jesus being confronted and challenged by these people that I mentioned, by the religious and by the civil leaders on, in Israel on that day. And it's a relentless pursuit upon Christ. And this is something that we know that the Lord Jesus had to deal with on many occasions, but it seems to have intensified as he came to Jerusalem and as he came near to the Gethsemane and Golgotha. There are uh, three things that I'd like to highlight from this portion of scripture for us this evening. And this incident is also recorded for us in uh, Matthew's Gospel also. We'll find it in Matthew chapter uh, 21. Now the first lesson I'd like to draw from these verses in Luke chapter 20 is that Christ continues. Christ continues. And that's one reason why I read the, the one or two verses from Luke chapter 19 to get the context. What happened in Luke chapter 19 in verses 45 to 48? Well, he went into the temple. And he found things in the temple that should not have been there. And he cleansed the temple. There were people buying and selling. There was money changers. There was all kinds of things going on under religious guise, as it were. And it was all there to make money for the religious authorities. And they were lining their pockets by using religion. And this the Lord Jesus Christ found offensive for the second time, because we know that he began his public ministry by cleansing the temple. And as he was coming to the end of his public ministry, he had to do exactly the same thing. Nothing had changed. And here we find that the Lord Jesus was continuing his work. And what do we find after he had cleansed the temple, when he had made himself enemies? What do we find? It tells us here in Chapter 20, verse 1, and it came to pass that on one of those days, it's very likely it was the next day. It was the next day after he had cleansed the temple. He was back in the temple. He was about his father's duties and father's work. And nothing was going to distract him, not even some opposition. And he was going to continue in his work. And we might realize if we read, for instance, Chapter 19, verse 47, what do we find? And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And there we get a picture. 
There was great opposition. It wasn't simply that they didn't like what he was proclaiming and they, they put up some kind of opposition. They were vehemently opposed to him. Yet the Lord Jesus would not in any sense pack it in. He would not throw in the towel. And we are reminded surely of that verse that we find in John's Gospel when it talks about the healing of the blind man. Did the Lord Jesus say, not say in John chapter 9 verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. What's he talking about there when he says the night cometh when no man can work? Well, he's telling us as he was telling himself, there's going to come a time and an opportunity when he'll not be able to do that work. But that is not the time now. And therefore he's going to use his time profitably. He's going to continue the work even if he does experience vehement opposition. Yet it is his time to work. And he's going to capitalize on every opportunity. And there he was, faithful to the task that God had given to him. Yes, we know that ultimately he was going to suffer and die on Calvary. But that wasn't for a day or two. And until that time, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to continue to work. There's a lesson for us all here. There's a lesson for the Christian. We have a work to do. Now the minister's not talking about that we need to all suddenly go out and evangelize. No, 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 no. Please don't misunderstand the minister. We have our work to do. We are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are to fight the good fight of faith. This is talking about our own personal salvation. We're not to think for one moment that we can earn our salvation. Far from it. But we are to grow in grace. We are to be ones who are transformed by the gospel. And this is a work that we must cooperate in. God indeed does it. But we must cooperate in it. And we must be diligent about the means of grace. And that we must continue to work while we have opportunity. What does the text say? The night cometh when no man can work. Well, that hasn't arrived yet for us. And we have things to do. We are to become more like Christ. We are to crucify the flesh and the lust thereof. We are to have that armed combat with sin, which if we know nothing about, we must indeed wonder whether our profession is real or not. This is the great battle we are to fight, primarily with ourselves. And we have to take up that cross. And we are to be identified with Christ. That's what's required. That's the work. And that's the work that Christ did here. He continued that great work until the time came when he couldn't possibly do it. Because he was following the Father's will and he had to give up his own life 
and offer it as a once-for-all sacrifice. Here we are in this world. How long have we got in this world? We don't know. We can't tell. But we must continue to work. And maybe there are some people here this evening who know nothing of this Christian uh, fight or this work, who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Have we got a word for them? Most certainly we have. You are to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to seek him. You are to call upon him. You are to see that he is the only one who can save you. And you are to call upon him as he is freely offered in the gospel. That's the work. And again we stress this is not salvation by works. Nothing of that. But we recognize there is a work that we must have to do. This is the work of God. That you believe him and whom he has sent. The Lord Jesus said. And this is the work that every one of us must do apply ourselves to we must seek the Lord Jesus Christ this is the day of grace this is the day of God's favor towards us unbeliever what a hope what a blessing to be under the gospel to be in the house of God and to hear something of this person who came from heaven and underwent terrible things in order to work out a salvation whereby you could be saved. Are we going to neglect that? Are we going to think nothing of it? Are we going to make no effort? Are we not going to remind ourselves of what Jesus said on another occasion when someone came up to him and asked, are, will there be many saved? Or words to that effect? And what did Jesus say to him? Well, Jesus said, in effect, don't you worry about how many are going to be saved. Instead, you are to strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's the work that you are to do. Not to worry about numbers. Not to worry about if this person's going to be saved or that person's going to be saved. But you must be zealous for your own salvation. And you must strive to enter in at the straight gate. And we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ here. He continued. Despite opposition. And if you are seeking salvation. If you are seeking to be reconciled to God. You'll find opposition. You'll find opposition from your own heart. You'll find opposition from your family, from your friends. You'll find it. You won't have to look for it. You'll find it. And you'll find opposition from the evil one. Yes. People might laugh and say, the evil one, Satan? Why? It's, he's not real. The moment you begin to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, you will know the reality of the evil one. At the moment... You're under his thraldom. You're in his kingdom. He doesn't bother you. But the moment you seek the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment you get serious about your soul. And the moment that you begin to look at the word of God. And study the word of God. And seek to follow the word of God. 
then you'll know the reality of the evil one. But you must continue and you must work and seek him. And the promise is, yes, Christ in the Bible gives us promises. Ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when ye shall seek for me with all your heart. Oh, that we might seek him with all our hearts. Continue therefore. As Christ continued to work despite the opposition. Secondly, let us notice here we have Christ confronted. Verse 1, And it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders. We know that early on in the life of the Lord Jesus, when he was a 12-year-old, when he was taken to the Passover and he remained back in Jerusalem while his parents made their way back home, he was in the temple and he was asking the doctors that is, the religious leaders of the day, he was asking them questions and he was answering questions. And they were amazed at his understanding. We're not going to say that he was being confronted by the doctors there. We're inclined to think that it was a, a mutual conversation between Christ, the youngster, and the doctors. But we do find him in the company of the religious leaders of the day way back when he was 12 years old. And here now he's coming to the end of his public ministry and what do we find? We find these same people coming together and confronting the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told here the chief priests and the scribes. There we have what we might regard the ecclesiastical court or the church court, the church leaders, the religious people of the day. They gathered and they found a time and an opportunity to confront the Lord Jesus. But also we're told with the elders. Who were the elders? Well, the elders were those who judged in temporal matters over the civil courts. And what we could say there, therefore is we have all the leaders of Israel and they're coming together to confront the Lord Jesus. And why have they come to confront him? Because he's in the temple and he's preaching and teaching. What is he preaching and teaching? He's preaching and teaching the gospel. And they find and take exception to this. The minister is not a Greek scholar, but he stands on the shoulders of others who are. And the whole idea behind this verse here is that they came suddenly, and they came as a group. They gathered together, they suddenly rushed upon the Lord Jesus as he was seeking to teach and preach the gospel to the people. And the people, as we find, 
In verse 48 of the previous chapter, we're very attentive to hear him. Here was the Lord Jesus preaching the gospel, a wide, a receptive audience. People are drinking in his doctrine, his application, his illustrations, whatever he used. They were loving it. And here was this group of leaders, and they confronted Christ. They sought to disturb him as he was in the very act of preaching and teaching in the temple. They were hoping to catch him unprepared. Friends, here we have the evil one at work. Because there is nothing that disturbs the evil kingdom but the preaching of the gospel. Nothing. And here were men who were motivated by envy and they were used by the evil one, by Satan himself, because by the preaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ was nibbling away at the kingdom of darkness. And here he was in the very place he should be, where the gospel should be proclaimed in the temple. Remember, we read it earlier on, that Jesus says, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, and therefore the temple is to be the house of prayer, but it's also to be a place where the gospel is proclaimed where the word and where prayer go hand in hand. And that's what Jesus was doing in the very place that he should be doing it. He had already told them it is going to be a house of prayer. And now he was telling them or showing them by his example, it was to be a place where God's word is to be read and proclaimed and applied to the hearts and minds of the individuals. And who was rattled? None other but the evil one himself. Because, friends, this is what disturbs the kingdom of darkness. And there is a lesson for us all here. There's a lesson for this congregation. It's a lesson maybe that we need to be reminded of rather than learn. It's something that we must always refresh our minds and memories about it because there's a great drive within the, the Christian church today to diminish preaching. Now, we're not at that stage in this congregation, we readily admit, but we need to remind ourselves of good things and we need to be clear on this matter. That we can do many things, and many churches are doing many things. They're having coffee mornings, they're having meals for the old age pensioners or whatever. They're having various other social activities. They're having warm hubs to warm people up who are feeling cold and who cannot warm their houses because of the the cost of living crisis. And there are other things that are going on in the Christian church, but what is happening? Preaching is being sidelined. We need to be clear 
And we need to remind ourselves that it's by the preaching of the gospel. It's by God's word going forth with power, with the Spirit's power upon it, that will transform individuals and that will bring the kingdom of darkness to naught. And no wonder Satan was up against this because this was what was happening. And if you seek to do anything for the kingdom of God according to the word of God, you will find opposition. And very often, the opposition will come from unlikely sources. It came here from the religious people and from the, the leaders of the people of Israel. They were ones who openly would say they were welcoming the coming of the Messiah. And here was the Messiah in his house proclaiming his word. And they confronted him. Who gave you this authority to do this? Who gave you the right to do this? Who gave you the right to cleanse the temple? Who gave you the right to teach in the temple? You will know this, Christian, in your own sphere as opportunity comes to you. If you seek to do good, and when we talk about doing good, it's doing good according to the scriptures you'll get opposition. A church won't get opposition if we open the doors and we have a coffee morning or a lunch for the down and outs. Now there's a place for these things and we're not diminishing these things at all. But we must remember this is the commission that the Lord Jesus has given to his church. It is to preach the gospel. Forgive me if I give a wee bit of personal um, testimony regarding this. We go out in the street. I don't want to make an issue of it, but we go out in the street. We do what we can. There is much that we could improve in what we do. But we find, and others who, are, who go out with us will verify what I say, but we find that we get opposition. We obviously get opposition from unbelievers. We expect that. Some of the opposition is quite crude. It's disappointing, but that happens. We get opposition from shopkeepers. There's a lady who's been on my back at least three or four times, threatened to get the police. Once she came out and said, you've been here two hours. It wasn't two hours, but that's what she said. It's time to go. Then another occasion, she came out. She had a piece of paper in her hand. She wrote something. You say you only preach for 
an hour and a half. You've been here for two hours. It's time to go. Well, we can put up with that. But sadly, we get opposition from professing Christians. We get people who tell us, Oh, you shouldn't be preaching them. You shouldn't be condemning. That's what they say. Whether we're condemning or not is a matter of opinion. But these are the things they say. You should get alongside them. You should love them. You should woo them that way. And we get all kinds of comments from professing Christians. Well, we look upon these comments and the opposition as ultimately coming from the evil one. Now, we don't say for one moment that these Christians who pass these comments are not Christians. No, no. We cannot say that. We will not say that. We cannot read hearts. We don't know. But we do know because the Bible teaches us that Satan can use even professing Christians. What about the Apostle Peter? Thou art the Christ. Moments later, what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but of man. And therefore we recognise that some of these comments will be from true professing Christians who are being used by the evil one. What keeps us going? Well, what keeps us going is we realize that when you take all of these comments on board, we are in some sense attacking the kingdom of darkness. And it is by the simple, clear proclamation of the gospel. This is what Jesus found here. about the gospel and here were religious people seeking to silence him do we not find this in our own day and generation is this not what's behind the government's proposed ban on conversion therapy is it not the, the leaders, our government leaders, and maybe even some within the Christian church, want us not to proclaim the gospel and to tell every man, every woman, regardless of their position, to repent? And if we are to call upon those who have an unusual or a natural sexual disposition. We cannot do that. This is what they want us to do. They want us to, to be fettered. That we cannot proclaim the gospel. It is nothing but the work of the evil one. And we must resist. We must resist continually. 
Because, friends, we have a warrant. And God tells the homosexual, God tells the lesbian, God tells the pedophile, God tells the fornicator, the adulterer, God tells the liar, the cheat, God tells the murderer, God tells the idolater, God tells the blasphemer to repent. There are no exceptions. And we must be faithful to the word of God. And friends, we don't look for opposition. But opposition will come. Because the evil one, he does not want his kingdom in any sense threatened. But it's only by the preaching of the gospel that his kingdom will be brought to naught. So, thirdly, we have here Christ contends, verse 3. They ask a question, and he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Here we find that the Lord Jesus, having been asked a question, doesn't answer it. Why does he not answer it? Basically, he does not answer it because these people do not need any more information. They know that he is the Messiah. They know that he has the authority of heaven. No one could possibly do what Jesus did. And we're talking about the whole of his life. They could never do that unless he was the one that he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. The very fact, the last miracle that we looked at, and what we're referring to is when he cleansed the temple, that was a miracle. Here was an unarmed man, himself, an individual, and he goes into this marketplace, and he turns the tables upside down, he throws out the money changers, overturns tables, he does a number of things, and no one rises up against him. How can we possibly explain this? It's nothing short of a miracle. That he was able to do this uninjured. He must have had some hold upon the people there. Truly he displayed that he was the Messiah. And these people who asked this question about his authority, they knew exactly where his authority came from. And here we find, friends, men who have all the information necessary to know about the Lord Jesus. They know it, but they don't obey it. They know it, but they will not embrace it. That's the position that they find themselves in here. And Christ is going to give them no more information, no more proof. He asks a question. About John's baptism. If we say from heaven. He will say that. Why then believe ye him not. They knew that John's 
baptism. And when it talks about his baptism, it's talking about his ministry. They knew his ministry was from heaven. And what did John the Baptist testify to? Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Had they said that John's baptism and John's ministry had the authority of God, they would have to recognize that John the Baptist recognized that Christ was indeed the Christ. And they weren't prepared to do that. And if they would say, well, John's ministry was of men, they weren't prepared to say that either because the people looked upon John as a prophet. The point that I wish to leave with you this night regarding this incident is that here were people who had all the information required, but they did not act positively upon it. They became, in some sense, agnostic. I don't know. When they did know. Well, maybe there are people here this evening who fall into that same category. You've heard of Jesus Christ. You know he is the Messiah. He has performed, we might say, miracles. And you have witnessed these miracles. You have seen lives changed. You have seen your mother and father's lives changed. You have seen them with all their faults being better people. You have seen your siblings being changed. You have seen your friends, your families, your neighbors. You have seen them being changed. You don't need any more information. You don't need any more proof. You don't need any more sermons. You need to act upon what you already know. Because there's no fresh information going to be given to you. There's no more proof going to be given to you. It's time now to embrace him. It's time to call upon him. It's time to cast all these things behind. These people with all their religion. What were they? They were people that feared man. And maybe this is your problem tonight. Knowing everything, or maybe correctly saying, knowing sufficiently, knowing more than enough, your problem is you fear men. And you will not confess him. Christ confronted. Maybe Christ is confronting you tonight. Well, it's time to come to him. It's time. Come then. Come. Embrace him. You'll find him a wonderful saviour. You'll find him a forgiving saviour. You'll find him an embracing saviour. You'll find him who's a saviour who will transform your life. Come, therefore. Amen.